everybody. Welcome to the Ask LFC Podcast. It is great to be with you again here today. My name is Harrison. I'm the Worship Arts Director here at Lake Forest Church in Huntersville, sitting down with... What's happening? Mike Moses here, lead pastor of Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. Uh, and in here in our 25th year, I keep remembering, founder of, of the Lake Forest uh, of Lake Forest Church, which is now the family of churches. Um, and we appreciate you all tuning into this. Yeah, I have a, a several podcasts that I listen to. I have a lot that I listen to occasionally if I see that the topic is of interest to me. I only have a few that I listen to every episode, and we appreciate you all. And, and I just heard from somebody this week that surprised me. I was like, mm-hmm. what? Hey, love it that you're listening to the podcast. Thank yeah, it's you. pretty cool. We, this is... Mike, if you can believe this, this is our uh, 117th episode of this podcast. We've been trucking it along, and it's good good to hear from you all. Speaking, Mike, of the uh, family of churches, let's start. Actually, let's begin. Before I say that, Mike, can you give me a... uh, can you give me a 20-second preview? What is the heart of the podcast today as a little sneak peek for people? The heart of the podcast is a, a bit of a pulling back the curtain on the layers with which I and our lead pastors view each sermon series. And to do that, I want to talk a little bit about the four Gospels. They each have a different intended audience and as we're going through Luke I pulled back the curtain a little bit this Sunday at the as I was reading the scripture on um, a little bit of Luke's unique emphasis and so um, I just like to talk about some layers that we're attempting to communicate to disciples uh, in each sermon series as exemplified by this one as we're reading a gospel Um, and yeah fantastic all right we can't wait to get into that a couple Quick things first. Number one, as Mike mentioned, family of churches. Um, there's something that uh, has been a practice around here for a while. We haven't done it in a little bit, and uh, we're bringing it back this weekend. Um, Mike, uh, yeah, you have an opportunity regularly. We've talked about this in the podcast before, but um, you have an opportunity to, in our family of churches, we have some other awesome uh, teaching and lead pastors of mm-hmm. our other churches uh, Aaron Aaron Gibson and and Terrell Huntley, uh, Victor Leal, and each of them have some pastors on their staff. You and uh, you you and out of that group, you and Aaron have Aaron Gibson, our Westlake pastor, have had the longest uh, connection. Aaron's been here as long as I have, just almost ten years now here mm-hmm. in the Lake Forest family. And this Sunday, um, Mike, you're getting to you're getting to go hang yes. with the Westlake crew. Aaron and I, as as we um, gave Story Hill Church, Lake Forest Davidson, permission to become a standalone church in our denomination, and they're now Story Hill. Aaron Gibson and I, and the other lead pastors, uh, have um, just really re-upped our enthusiasm about the being a part of a family of churches. We're lead pastors who are, who don't feel as much of the loneliness. Um, or solitariness that a lot of lead pastors, particularly of larger churches, feel because we're uh, j- we caught up on the phone late last night about something that was on both of our minds in our two churches. Um, so we are re-upping, restarting the pulpit swap. Pulpit. I just used the word pulpit at the pulpit. 
Um, <laughs> so let's say sermon or preacher swap. Aaron Pre- and preacher I, swap is better because pulpit swap could actually yeah. mean that our churches are trading. Like if we each yeah. had a pulpit and we're sending yeah. the actual lectern to the other campus, yes, we could. I, I mean, it wouldn't be hard to put my music stand <laughs> in my little tiny car. No, it wouldn't. Um, so we could actually do that, but. Aaron and I are going to swap this coming Sunday. So, number one, if you worshiped at Lake Forest Huntersville this Sunday, do not, I repeat, do not worship at Lake Forest Westlake because you will hear the same sermon. It'll be a little better. It'll be tighter. (laughs) It'll Because I preached it twice Sunday, and I know the things I'm not going to say, including never— yeah, no, I'm not even going to refer to that, that I'm not going to say again, because um, it will offend the person I offended again. Mm-hmm. Um, good good word. If anyone here mentions it. But, um, where was I? So, Aaron, Aaron and I, here, just yep. to, to emphasize and love on that we're a family of churches, I will preach at Westlake next Sunday, the same parable in the Gospel of Luke that I did here. Aaron is going to come here to Lake Forest Huntersville and preach the same parable he did Two days ago, this is Tuesday. We're recording this mm-hmm. at Lake Forest Westlake um, because the parables sermon series in Luke. It it's not you don't really need to teach on those sequentially. They don't they're not building on each other. They're just standalone teachings of Jesus. So it works uh, for us to do that and without doing violence to our series through the Gospel of Luke. But we just want to say, hey, we're family churches. I love your church too. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway. I'm yeah. looking forward to that. Yeah, it's always cool. It's a good. It's a good day when we get to um, have Aaron Gibson here for morning. And I know Westlake looks forward to having you over there, Mike. The um, last time I preached at Westlake was during the pandemic, and the school that they worshipped in, Lincoln Charter, had shut down. Nobody could go on the campus, so they shifted their worship once they could return to in person to the YMCA over there. Sally's Y. And the last time I preached there was, uh, it was a December or a January, and everybody was sitting like 10 feet apart. I say everybody, like 50 people. Yeah. 10 feet apart, masked. It was like, it just, it's a sad memory. I mean, it was, everybody there was enthusiastic to be together. Sure. But now they're in their building. Oh, yeah. They are hundreds and hundreds of people, and this will be my first time. Uh, worshiping with them, much less preaching in their building. Oh, so I can't be, wait. That is going to be awesome. Um, one last quick thing we're excited about, and then we'll get into the uh, the four gospels stuff. Um, we just wanted to send one more invite your way. As Mike said, we're recording this on a Tuesday, so to us, uh, just about a week from now, on uh, February twenty, right? yeah, February twenty second, um, we're going to have um, our Ash Wednesday slash night of worship service um that'll be happening at 6 30 wednesday night february 22nd eight days from now it's eight days from now i've had a lot of fun calling it like a mashup Mm -hmm. of a night of worship and prayer uh anchored by ash wednesday but i guess we actually have to figure out how we're going to mash that up yeah we got some we we got some ideas cooking right now yeah but what we're most excited we have some really good ideas (laughs) that's right Um, what we're excited about more than anything, um, Ash Wednesday is, is a really neat time, uh, for us to just, uh, remember, um, remember the, uh, remember our need for a savior is really, uh, one of the major points of, of Ash Wednesday as we, um, as we remember it here at Lake Forest, it's a chance for us to 
say we know that we are broken people and we are in need of a Savior. And as we look forward to this uh, season of Lent leading up to Easter, uh, leading up to our celebration of uh, the resurrection and our hope in a risen Jesus, uh, it's just a chance for us to acknowledge our need. And um, if that doesn't if that doesn't pair nicely with a night of worship, then we have drastically done we something wrong. Up. Yeah, yeah, we done messed up. Exactly. So the <laughs> the last night of worship that we had was a a really cool time, and just people showing up hungry and yeah. and ready to experience God. So you know, we would love for you uh, to come hang out with us. We have child care for young kids, but uh, last time. Um, my, my, uh, elementary mm-hmm. age kids were there and we had some stuff for them to do around the room. My, my fourth grader, uh, we had some paper set up in the back where they could just draw. And I kept what he drew cause there wasn't, there wasn't really a prompt towards them, but he had drawn, uh, pictures of, um, our family. And, um, he, he was like, he had written like, um, God like bless our family and stuff wow. and like things that he was praying for. So he just kind of wow. internalized what was happening and he was drawing stuff he was thankful for and stuff like that. It was, it was pretty cool. So we so should have that option again. I think we're going to have okay. that option again. But anyways, it's, it was can, neat to see. Um, I left a little early last time because our community mm-hmm. group was meeting that night and I had missed too many of them. Um, so I left a, just a hair early and it was neat to see children and adults on their knees, coloring mm-hmm. their prayers. Yeah, um, it was neat. Super cool. Well, all right, we'll look forward to that. Yep. So, this sermon series, is, we decided to track through the Gospel of Luke, beginning with Christmas, Advent season, all the way to Easter, um, in our sermon planning. And just a, a, a little bit of a pull back the curtain, when us pastors are planning sermon series, we're yes, we we absolutely the real focus is okay, what's the passage for that Sunday? And then we're each going to tear into it with commentaries and what have other people said about this and what's an effective way to communicate what what are we going to hone in on? God's word is so rich that any given passage including the one that I t- taught this last Sunday, you could hone in on any number of just a primary takeaway. And so us pastors, we talk about that, and it's about that passage. However, we also, um, we have a couple of larger purposes. One of those is we're considering, as we plan the next six months of series, what parts of the Bible have we been in over the last one to two years, and what parts have we neglected over the last uh, however much time? Um, And that might determine what we pick for the next few months. And so, mm-hmm. obviously, we've chosen we're going to be in the part of Scripture that's called the Gospels. And we're not going to bounce around for this series. We're going to go through particularly one of them, Luke. And so that's just one layer, it's, as opposed to just what's the passage every Sunday. We're also thinking through what part of God's Word is the emphasis for this series. Um Sometimes uh, uh, we're very conscious of this. Sometimes it's, it's more subconscious. But we're also teaching, we want to teach uh, all of our disciples uh, who worship here that, that you read different parts of God's Word differently based on the type of literature they are. 
And so we're approaching this one as a historical uh, book. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's how it presents itself. so that's that's one other layer, and then a, a, another layer is we each book of the Bible, most books of the Bible, the author, the inspired author, whether they are a, we know exactly who they were, or traditionally it's ascribed to someone, and so we'll generally agree with that, or we have no idea who the author is, like the book of Hebrews, mm-hmm. no, no idea. There's no attribution in the book, and so. Uh, but other ones, we do know who the author is. Um, we want to also, uh, again, I, I'm not usually not overt about this. It's subliminal. But but we to be effective teachers of God's word, we want to sort of inhabit the sustained theological viewpoint and emphasis of that author that comes through the whole book. And and so, I did that Sunday. Uh, one of the things that is known about the Gospel of Luke, in distinction to the other three Gospels, is Luke um, shows the compassion of Jesus for uh, the poor, the outcast, hmm. and in particular, Luke emphasizes more than any other Gospel writer. You have to read all four Gospels for this to stand out. <laughs> he emphasizes um, the role of women in Jesus' ministry and his thought and his particular care and elevation of them. Mm. So that's why on Sunday, to a larger degree in the first service, I cut most of this out in the second service for sake of time. Uh, I read the. I didn't just start with Jesus' parable of the sower and the soils. I read the little preamble. The Jesus was walking from here to there, mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> verses, and a few. And it was mentioned the twelve were with him. And several women who were named. By the way, when a biblical when the Gospels name a person and say, "Oh, they're such and such and married to so and so," usually that means that that person is a known leader in the first generation of the church, and so it's an authenticator by the author saying, "Hey, a lot of you readers know this person." So it meant that these women were more than likely well-known leaders in the early church, not just in their own congregation, but they were likely therefore known. They were probably in the uh, Jerusalem church, out of which all the churches in, in the known world had sprung by the first generation of Christianity, and therefore they were best known. So that's kind of cool. But, Jesus, but Luke was very much showing these females are financial leaders in the early mm-hmm. movement of Jesus, and they are a leader leaders. Um, So that's just an example of a, I stopped and took note of that to the congregation in part to to do a second or third layer down biblical education that this is a theme in the gospel of Luke in addition to just what this passage happens to be teaching us. Yep. A quick side note before you dive in again is also a cool apologetic, Mike. You mentioned before, the naming. Quick side note before Mike just talks for a long no, no, time. No, 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 no. You're getting to another thing, but <laughs> you struck a thought with me in the naming of names, especially particularly in Luke, because Luke approached his gospel almost like a investigative journalist style where he's, he's like, I've talked to a bunch of people mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'm putting this together to show you what happened. Um, in naming those names, you mentioned a lot of those people were around. It's kind of also like the, the undercurrent is like 
you can go talk to them if you want. Like, you know these people. Mm-hmm. The things I'm telling you, it's not just me saying it. I'm telling you their names so you can just, you can go talk to them or their family and be like, hey, did this really happen? Like, and yes. they'll be like, yeah, it did. And the the Gospels are full of those because they were written at a time when so many of the people mentioned were still uh, alive, active in their community. So it's it's kind of a an apologetic to the truth of the message of the Gospels mm-hmm. as they listed all these names together it was like that you know these people go ask them so interesting and one of those women mentioned there in luke 8 um it said she's so and so the wife of was it the head of the guard i don't have it in front of me the head of the guard in herod's household king herod the the governor and then i I was reading uh a, a few later chapters in luke this morning for my devotional time and I noticed a detail I'd never seen before. So there's that reference to Herod's household. A, f- a couple of chapters later, it mentions that, you know, all this this word about Jesus is getting out. And crap, people are coming from all over. And it said that um, news reached Herod, and he inquired, how can I go see this man? We don't have record that he ever did. Um, Herod didn't go out among the people because he was hated for very good reasons. He was an evil, tyrannical, sadistic um, Roman governor. But um, So we don't have a record that he ever did go to see Jesus. But it, an interesting thing, Luke would have n- known that because he, uh, my guess is he talked to this woman, I think, mm-hmm. was she Susa or Susanna in the passage in Luke 8? Um, and and so he would have also had firsthand knowledge that Herod was like, dude, what is this I'm hearing about? Hmm. Uh, we should look into this. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, gospel. So we're in a gospel series through the gospel of Luke. I just thought we'd talk for a few minutes about the four gospels uh, and similarities and differences among them. Um, you know, why are there four, et cetera. The word gospel means good news, and we just saw that on Sunday. Uh <clears throat> Luke says Jesus was going around to the towns spreading the good news. That was the word gospel translated mm-hmm. as good news of the kingdom of God. So that word gospel uh, is good news, and it's it, it's used to define these written accounts of Jesus, uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, sometimes people refer to other gospels that were not accepted by the early church as authentic or representing the actual faith of the apostles. The, the number one criteria that the first two to three and four generations of the church used to understand, oh, this is genuinely Christian, or as some people making stuff up, was is it apostolic? Does it fit the consistent teaching of the 12 apostles in the generation after Jesus. Uh, it, it's pretty easy to measure. Um, so you'll sometimes hear people say the gospel of Thomas or the gospel mm-hmm. of this or that. They're just using the word about the four gospels and applying it to other uh, documents that were recognized by the early churches. Okay, that's people, that's way off. That That is not the actual message of Jesus that's not what he said about the kingdom of God. Um, I've read uh, all of those. I mean, I mean, this is my job, Harrison. So I've read all of those, and they're there as distinct 
it, it's like the difference between reading Grimm's fairy tales, mm-hmm. uh, which are set in late medieval Europe, and um, actual uh, firsthand history written at the time of, of late medieval Europe. You can tell the difference. Like, that's an obvious difference. Um, and it's very obvious for those familiar with the documents when you read the the the, the Gnostic Gospels is another one. You can mm-hmm. just tell uh, enough about that. Um, so uh, in spite of the fact that Matthew is listed, you know, right, everybody knows Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's yep. how you say it. Um, the majority view is that Mark was the earliest written Gospel, followed by, by Matthew and then Luke. Um Matthew, and clearly if you read the three of those Gospels, um, they share a lot of material. Some of it is word for word. Some of it is almost word for word, just a little bit paraphrased with some key differences that are on purpose for difference in emphasis. Um, And in particular, it's, it's a majority view of Bible scholars that Matthew and Luke were each, they had the Gospel of Mark uh, when they were writing their own Gospel and they borrowed kindly, friendly mm-hmm. <laughs> from Mark as a source and it's also likely there was another source that, that was circulating <coughs> that that was a collection of Jesus uh, things about his life and sayings that we, that is lost to history but the three of these Gospel writers likely had in front of them um, and so d- d- these three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are called the synoptic Gospels. Synoptic means, quote, having the same view. Hmm. Um, and, it, and you'll just understand that if you read the three of them and you look at the similarities and what they share. And it's interesting that John is the only of the four Gospel authors he, who uh, was a contemporary of Jesus, a follower, and he was writing later, and you, we can tell this th- than the other three. You can tell this just even in uh, the linguistic study of their style of writing, vocabulary, etc. And his writing later also uh, shows just a, a, a mature, later, if not end in life, reflection mm-hmm. on the, the theological realities of the person of Jesus as the Son of God. Um, uh, and his his gospel just has a, a different agenda, um, follows a, a unique timeline, um, and doesn't share much content with the others. Gospel John's gospel is often summarized as a lengthy passion narrative mm-hmm. in terms of Jesus' journey to the cross with a short uh, preamble or introduction. Um, and so that's kind of a difference between them. Um, yeah. His intro is awesome too. It is so different than the other three because you could it. That's interesting. The end of life, you can just imagine sitting there and being like, "I'm gonna kill it with this intro." Here we go. In the beginning was the word. The word <laughs> yeah. was with God. Nailed it. Nailed it, John. It, and it's nailed also, it. Yeah. And he's he's echoing uh, the first words of Genesis. He, mm-hmm. He's pulling the entire uh, theology of the whole Word of God in to uh, John chapter 1 mm-hmm. and the identity of, of Jesus. It's a mature, very mature reflection. It's awesome. Um, the Gospels are not a straight-up biography. Um, they're, they're not intended—they're sometimes criticized for this, but it's a misunderstanding. 
they're sometimes criticized for, for not being a disinterested record of historical events surrounding Jesus. Um, that's not their, their agenda. Uh, number one, no one wrote like that. They're the closest to biography, actually. They established a whole genre. Um, they're, they're unique in historical literature. But each of the writers is very open, saying, I want you to know the truth about Jesus. I want you to become a disciple. <laughs> like, they, they have a, a purpose, and they're selective of what they include about Jesus to that end. Um, let me just speak a little bit about each of the four for you guys, and then we'll close. Um, the gospel according to Matthew is clearly, when you read it through, is aimed primarily at Jewish people, um, whether they are already a Christian or not. It's aimed at people familiar with the Old Testament. Uh, and so uh, it starts with the lineage. And in fact, it starts with um, Matthew 1, 1 says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, there's the word Christ, which mm-hmm. is Jewish Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. <laughs> so right mm-hmm. there, hey, I'm, I'm writing to people who are interested in uh, what has come out of the lineage of Abraham and David uh, as the, the fulfillment of prophecy. And so Matthew quotes the Hebrew scriptures far more than any other of uh, the Gospels. Um, and so that's just interesting hmm. um, to know that that's Matthew's primary agenda and intended audience. It makes sense. He's like showing the credentials to the people who are in the know yeah. on the, on the lineage. He's like, look, I'm just going to lay it. This is, this is what you care about, and I'm going to tell you all the way from Adam to Jesus how we got to where we are because I know you care yeah. <laughs> about this stuff. <laughs> yes, mm-hmm. yes. And, and then you get to Mark, and Mark is kind of the <clears throat> opposite. In fact, there are a few places in Mark in particular uh, I believe in Luke as well, where um, in Mark there's a time when um, he quotes Jesus saying an actual Aramaic word. A- and then Mark has a parenthetical moment where he says, this means such and such and so and so. In other words, he's speaking to a non-Jewish audience. Um, Mark is not right, but it, and he will say, uh, there's another time or two when, when he will make a parenthetical comment because this was predicted in the Jewish scriptures or something. Mm-hmm. He, in other words, he's writing to people unfamiliar with the Jewish scriptures. Um, his audience seems to be people in the Roman Empire who are unfamiliar with the religion of the Jews. Uh, one uh, pretty standard majority view of biblical scholars is that Mark was likely uh, an assistant to Peter. And Mark uh, was a, heard Peter's sermons and teachings and that he was recording so that that's sort of the lens. His, his lens is the Peter lens. Um, he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus or the family tree <laughs> demonstrating Jesus was a result of prophecy. It starts right, Mark 1.1 the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and starts right in on his ministry. And Mark, if you you read it, it's the most brief gospel, and it's a gospel of action. Uh, One uh, commentator counted up the number of uses of the the word and in the gospel of Mark. It's it's ridiculous. I forget how many it is. But it, it just demonstrates, Mark is like, 
and then this, and then, and he uses the word immediately uh, uh, a number of times, immediately after. I mean, so it just moves. It's kind of for action-oriented Romans. They're, they're mm. like, what's, uh, you, you understand that. Yeah. Um, and so his emphasis is on doing in the Gospel of Mark and doing the job that God sent Jesus to do uh, and showing that, that Jesus got the job done. Uh, and so Mark's gospel actually records more miracles of Jesus than Matthew, Luke, or John. Again, hmm. the emphasis is on doing. Yeah. Luke seems to have been written, and, and even in the vocabulary, it's a higher-level Greek vocabulary, hmm. seems to have been written to those more intellectually-minded as you know, um, and most of you will know, in his prologue, in his verses, chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, he's saying, hey, I wanted to set in order a narrative of the things which are most surely believed among us. So he's writing to fellow believers, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses mm. uh, and delivered it to us. So he's saying, I was not an eyewitness. Uh, and, and then it, he says, it seemed good to me having a perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write you an orderly account. Uh, it is generally believed that he is the, the Luke uh, who was a companion to um, Paul uh, listed in the book of Acts in a number of his journeys. So Luke, uh, some of his uniquenesses probably show uh, mm. distinctions of Paul's teaching <clears throat> and ministry. Um, and he, he, he stresses... Um, Jesus as the perfect man and the son of man. Um, uh, <clears throat> and he focuses on events in Jesus' life that stress his humanity. As I said, his compassion, his human compassion. Mm -hmm. um, the Greeks in their art and literature were seeking the perfect man. In philosophy, Plato and Socrates were describing the aspiration to being the perfect man. And so Luke is setting out before a Greco-Roman audience Jesus, the Son of Man, the perfect man, who is also the Son of God. I think that's super that's awesome. yeah. cool. Uh, and, then, and, and then again, John uh, is, is the eyewitness gospel writer, um, and he's in particular, whereas Luke is saying, this is the perfect man. This is what the Greeks and Romans are striving for. Um, uh, John is showing this is the eternal God become the divinity of Jesus is front and center every single moment. It's the Gospel of John where he emphasizes and pulls out Jesus' "I am" statements, where where he is clearly. If if you are a Jew, you know if Jesus says "I am the shepherd, the true shepherd," I am um, the gate, I am. Uh, over you know over and over, um, and then at one point he says, "Before Abraham was, I am," mm -hmm. which is a clear uh, arrogating to himself um, that he is one with Yahweh, God Himself. Mm -hmm. um, and and John actually John states his purpose at the end. I think that's kind of interesting too. The other guy, uh, guys did it. At the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, for John, it's the end, chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, the, the, the signs, are written that you may believe, here's the purpose, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
and that believing you may have life in his name. Boom. Uh, yes. How beautiful <laughs> is that? Man. And so in Matthew, Jesus is the son of David, son of Abraham. In Mark, Jesus is the son of man. In Luke, Jesus is the son of Adam, the one true man. Um, and in John, the son of God. That's awesome. I also love in John, as a side note, that uh, <clears throat> rather than just saying Jesus talked to John, referring to himself, he's like, Jesus talked to the disciple he loved. It's me, John. <laughs> I'm the one he loved. <laughs> I like that. I, you know, I use that, actually. I've taken that in. Um, like, it's a good thing to know that you're, you are the beloved disciple. Um, every now and then I'll be sitting with someone over coffee or in my office and they will, maybe they've been, they've been, we've met several times about something difficult in their life. And one of my favorite things, when somebody comes back to me and they go, oh, let me tell you what the Lord just did, you know, with these, this hard thing going on and I'm so encouraged and I'll just look at them and go, you know what? I think maybe you're the Lord's favorite right now. <laughs> yep. he, he's just, you're his, you're his special one. And I'll see a, a, a hint of recognition. Yeah. And, and so I think John sets for us. Um, and friend, I hope today that you realize that because of uh, you are in Christ and Christ is in you by faith. Um, today, your Heavenly Father is looking at you. Um, and communicating to you through the Holy Spirit the same thing he did to Jesus as he came out of the water at his baptism. Oh, look, there's my beloved daughter, my beloved son, and whom I am well pleased. May you live in the joy and the pleasure of that today, friends. 